pleasure of sitting down today with a longtime friend, uh, founder of Big Loss Meadery, Sam Kleichman. How are we doing, Kyle? Pretty good. How are you, buddy? Good. Welcome to Big Loss. Ah, I like the new digs. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. How long ago did you guys move here? We opened up here December of 2020. Fantastic timing. Heck yeah. That is a pandemic, huh? Yeah. Yep. That was right when we kind of switched gears on a bunch of things. Yeah, we kind of had to. That, uh, that was a, not an awesome deal, but is what it is. So I got uh, some questions here for you, Sam. Yeah, shoot. Uh, so how long have you lived in Gillette? I was born in Gillette, so 1986. Spent a few years, years outside, yeah. but I always wanted to come back. Where, where else have you spent time at? I uh, used to work in Utah, went to school in South Dakota. And when I was a real little kid, we moved away to Nevada and North Dakota for like three or four years. And That's about all you can take of those two places. Yeah, so <laughs> pretty much my entire entirety has been here. Did you go to college anywhere? University of South Dakota in Vermilion. Right on. Where'd you go for there? Uh, technically to business management and legal studies, but in all honesty, I drank beer and played rugby for four years. <laughs> yeah, I remember the rugby days. That was a good time. Is that still up and going? Yep. Yeah, team's still going. We started that in 09, and they, uh, yeah, they're still running strong. Who's uh, leading that now that Duncan left? Right now, it's Josh Eckert and Tim Boat. Oh, really? They're doing good with it. That's awesome. I haven't talked to those guys for, for a minute. I think the last time I talked to them was we just got back from Wayne, Nebraska, after getting the shit kicked out of us. Yeah, no, they, uh, they're doing really well, and yeah, they just had the state tournament here a couple weeks ago, and man, is, they're doing good. Is that in, what is it, Alpine? Lander. Or Lander? Yeah, it always coincides with the Lander Brew Fest, so thanks well, for a good team event. Heck yeah, those are good parties. So uh, what made you want to get into mead? Well, initially I was looking to start something in Gillette, uh, doing something on the side, and I was thinking about a brewery initially, but everybody and their dog had breweries, so I figured, why not me? Let's do something that nobody else hasn't seen, build a market where one doesn't exist, and voila, the so you're baseline concept of Big Loss was born. You're international, aren't you? We are, yeah. We distribute all over uh, six states, southern Taiwan, and we distribute direct to household in 42 states. So how's the, with the current uh, climate, how's the shipping working for you? Uh, shipping is quite expensive, but to give you a little idea on what the cost of regulation and taxes is, I can put a bottle of mead cheaper on the shelf shipping halfway across the world to southern Taiwan than I can Nebraska, which is four hours away. Yeah, there's a, it's called a hard AF seltzer. That's a, one another podcast to listen to, it's called Drinking Bros. They came out the seltzer, and I ordered a case. It was 100 bucks for a case of seltzers just because the shipping was $69.95. Shipping's extremely expensive in the booze world. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep, because the way they do the shipping class, it's uh, everything from the shipping class of weight compared to size. But then also when you start dealing with taxes, regulations, signatories, the cost goes up quite a bit. Yeah, they were saying like there's only uh, two distributors for this, their seltzer that they could use, and they're both in Miami. So they'd brew it in, the, in Tennessee, ship it to Miami, then Miami would ship it out across the states. They might have some other problems that yeah. they should look at. Probably. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, just something that they're talking about, the reason why it's so expensive. But, you know, try it out. Yeah, is it any good? Uh, 
I'm not gonna lie, it wasn't my favorite. My, when my wife heard that how much I spent on it, she kind of, what the hell is your deal? I was like, eh, I had to try it. You know, what if it was like lightning in a bottle, just amazing stuff, and I was the first one to have it. But mm, that's fair. No one else. It it sucked, and I I still got like a twelve pack that I'm trying to give out, but nobody wants it. <laughs> <laughs> so you li- you win some, you you lose some. That is the world. So what like? Where did you first try meat at? Like, what made you? So I actually started making meat before I ever tried it. Somehow I always wanted to try. So back when I was brewing a bunch, I uh, guy asked me if I would make meat, and I told him there's no way I would ever do that. It's too long. It's too expensive. It's carboy hog. Said just kind of jokingly, the only way I would ever do it is if I made like a whole barrel at once. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Well, I got a guy that'll sell you honey at a dirt cheap price if you try it. I was like, yeah, so I gave it a shot. So I bought a 59 gallon wine barrel used for like a hundred bucks and then bought 125 pounds of honey. <clears throat> and with that 125 pounds of honey, made a whole barrel in my basement. It took like 13 months. Jesus. And that was my first shot at mead. Turns out it actually went out pretty good. And then, uh, yeah, after I started making it, I tried a few others along the way and some were good, some were bad, some of the commercially made stuff. But what I made actually turned out pretty good. So I quit making beer and wine, just pretty much started focusing on mead, and here we are. Here we are. That was a pretty, that was a pretty good uh, switch up. Yeah, no, it worked out pretty well. And so, yeah, the first time I ever thought I'd buy 125 pounds of honey on one purchase. <laughs> and that's no, no red flags from escalated your neighbors. drastically since then. And you brewed that in your basement? Yep, in the basement of Big Lost. And that was over at your old location? No, that was at my house. Oh, at your house. That's right. So what did your neighbors think of that when they seen the, the two big old barrels show up? So it actually came in one 55-gallon drum, like a quarter quarter to a third full 55-gallon uh-huh. drum. So I was able to just like move it into my basement. They didn't think the that. help of some roommates at the time. And every time my neighbors see something like that coming on there, they think like, oh, shit, what's, what's going to happen? <laughs> do we need to like up our home insurance or something uh they only knew right so i guess this kind of leads into this one uh why gillette and why not a bigger city well gillette's my hometown so that's where everything was always going to be you know i've always been a fireman by trade too so i was able to do both mm-hmm. in a place i like and it was never going to be anywhere else and same thing as we've expanded and started doing other things, it's still always Gillette. It's where it's always going to be. There's never going to be anywhere else. Do you have plans on opening up other stores somewhere else? We will eventually, yeah. We're actually in the process right now of working on some groundwork, start doing just that. Heck yeah. Uh, where do you see yourself in the next three to five years then? Well, uh, we're going to continue building on our expansion model, which is essentially expand distribution to further states. We're looking at opening up some brick-and-mortar locations in other other states. And really, by doing that, we're still going to do all the production here Mm -hmm. because Gillette's always going to be the hub for it. So we'll have all of our large-scale production here, all of our bottling, and we've just invested into an automatic bottling line. I mean, we're getting all sorts of stuff, foundation laid so that we can really start expanding and keep putting Gillette on the map for something yep. besides coal and oil. 
something a little sweet that's not colon oil. So how did you like get like all the comedians in the the live performance? Was that something that just kind of fell in your lap, or did you have to do a bunch of uh, like mar- uh, networking to get the people to come? So it's kind of a weird world to hop into. So it's one of those things like. You know, with local artists, you know, we would go out, we would find them, and like, hey, man, we got a place if you ever want to play a show. Well, as that started to escalate, you know, eventually you kind of get past this power curve where people start calling you to come set up. So now with the summer concert series we have, <clears throat> yeah, with the summer concert series, you know, we pretty much have a show almost every week, mm-hmm. at least every weekend. And uh, a lot of that, you know, we start planning that out like the November before, the March before. It all depends on which size band it is. Yeah, it really started out. We would just go find people that we knew, and then they would talk, and they would talk. And eventually, word kind of started to spread around where now people are traveling through the area on tour for something else. Mm -hmm. There's a huge gap between Rapid City and Billings, Billings and Casper, whatever that is. We're kind of the only thing in the middle. And so, yeah, people started just calling us. And, and you have an awesome little spot for it, too, during the summer. Yeah, and so with the new expansion, we actually wanted to build out the courtyard for mm-hmm. that purpose. So put the stage in, we added some electronics, we added the shade awnings, we added some different outlet work, started putting some lights up, put the trees, so we'd make, you know, turn it into an actual venue instead of just like, yeah, we'll see what we can throw together inside the bar and make it happen. Right some actual planning and forecasting and stuff like that. Yeah, and eventually, I mean, we'll build out full-scale sound towers and yeah, really yeah. doctor it out to where we can hold some pretty substantial shows. See, uh, my partner, the guy that does my other podcast with me, I was like, dude, we need to come out with some kind of video and get Burt Kreischer, because Burt Kreischer has one of the meticulous bands, kind of like me, where it's like, oh, squirrels, check that out. Yeah. And like, he's really into Frisbee golf, and I like Frisbee golf, too. So we're, he's my buddy's got a drone that he's gonna fly. We're gonna do at the Camplex, do like a promotional video, try to call Bert Kreischer out to get him to come to Gillette because uh, Casper holds ten thousand people, and that's about his average size for a comedy show. And somebody like Bert Kreischer, they that sell out in a heartbeat. He'd do two or three shows there. Oh yeah. And like uh, you know, this promotional video is me challenging him to a drinking and frisbee golf contest. You know, I imagine just probably talk to the city and see what kind of permits I need to have alcohol and walk around the complex. It's pretty easy to do. But uh, just something like that. You're right. Gillette needs needs some more. Needs more entertainment. Needs more. They're... The way I look at Gillette is, like, we're a very wholesome community, you know? But we don't really, our, our community really doesn't have anything for us. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, get to go to Rapid for anything or Casper. And well, I... With you doing this, it's like you're trying to bring us back to where Gillette has something for, for a little, little bit of everything for everybody. Well, that's where you know, a lot of people talk about that, but really what it takes is individuals making that happen. I mean, it doesn't get done at a government level. It doesn't get done at a city council level. I mean, that gets done by people, people like you. to be willing to risk it and yep. throw something out there. But speaking of golf, uh, have you ever heard of the company Dis Unlimited? Uh-uh. So they're a real large, one of the big three disc golf uh, distributors in the country. Okay. They're based out of Kansas. The guy I brewed my very first beer with, his mm-hmm. dad was the guy that started Disc Unlimited. Oh, no shit. Because the way we started was out in Utah. We were living in this Forest Service cabin with no running water. We had sporadic electricity. 
and we got tired of drinking Utah beer. And we were gone for like two weeks at a time working, so we'd only be home for like two days, gone for two weeks. Well, it timed out really good with beer drinking or beer making and beer drinking for that matter. So my buddy Ned, so me and him went and got some homebrew supplies. We didn't have all the equipment, but we actually started making beer and Culligan bottles with water we pulled out of the <laughs> creek over open fire. Right on. Like old school beer making. And uh, with that, yeah, that's how we started making beer. Ned has since left the Forest Service as well, and he's the head brewer of Wichita Brewing Company. Okay. But yeah, he started off being a disc golf guy. Hell yeah. Stand by one. It's funny how, like, uh, you know, Utah's 3-2 beer, and then you want, a bunch of, you want some actual beer, so you take it on your own to make you some good beer. Yeah. Although 3-2 beer doesn't exist in Utah anymore. Oh, really? They finally got with the big boys? Well, what happened was is Oklahoma got rid of their 3-2 law. Uh-huh. And Oklahoma uh, consumed 60% of the 3-2 beer in the United States. Oh, really? Well, after they quit, of course, no, they're not going to continue buying it. Right. Then uh, all the big boys are like, well, we're not going to make it anymore. Good. So, like, states like Minnesota, Colorado. Because on Sundays in Colorado, you can only buy the 3 2. Yeah, there's grocery stores in Colorado, certain places in Minnesota, all of Utah. There's a couple other states that had the old 3 2 laws. But with Oklahoma done, it's either, well, you either get rid of 3 2 or you're just not going to have beer anymore. Hmm. Unless you guys make it in state. So. And BYU being one of the bigger party schools in the, in the state. Yeah. But yeah, so that's why 3-2 beer no longer exists. Nice. Thank you, Oklahoma. <laughs> well, at least they did one good thing for us. So what what in the community do you see that we can build on? Like, what are some of our strengths? Well, that's the thing. There's a lot of strengths in uh, our communities. I mean, the biggest thing is, is, just like any community, the hub of it's actually it's people. And so one nice thing about Gillette is Gillette is not entrenched into generations of the same thing over mm -hmm. and over. I mean, the majority of this community is transplant. And with the majority of the community being transplant, everybody comes in with new ideas, different people, different things they've done, different things they want to do, different things they're looking for. And I mean, that's part of the fabric of Gillette is being able to harness that. Mm -hmm. And so with that, there's a lot of opportunity in this town. I mean, you look at the reason people move here to begin with is for work. Yeah. It's a great place to work. It's one of the few places in the United States that the American dream is still alive. I mean, that's a real thing here. Yeah. Well, you can come here without a college education, still make 100000 plus. Yeah. I mean, you can come here with nothing. I mean, this entire town's made of self-made people. Mm -hmm. Versus you go to some of the older communities out there. I mean, like they're entrenched in, you know, you have old money here. You have old money there. You've got... You know, the city's always done it this way because it's done it this way forever. But Gillette doesn't have that. So I mean, we have a blank canvas with a lot of talent to work on. Our people tend to be hardworking. They can trial through adversity very, fairly easily. And so finding a way to harness that, to do things outside of strictly energy production. And I think we do have a lot of both private and private governmental partnerships working on that right now with alternative coal technologies mm -hmm. and advanced carbon and some of the carbon capture stuff we're doing. I mean, things that are still related to what we do, but that have significantly more value than just the thermal and energy end of fossil industry. Yeah. Which is a great thing. 
especially if they ever figure out some of the things, you know, some of the more technological sides of advanced carbon technologies, carbon nanotubes, carbon fires, fibers, graphene, graphite. I mean, we could easily become one of the production hubs because we have the infrastructure to support it. We have the raw materials to support it. It's going to be massive. And along with that comes the hospitality support yep. to keep that stuff here. Because it's one thing if you can produce and do the production side, but if you have nothing to draw the people in, you, know, you need to have the restaurants, you need to have the bars, you need to have the community infrastructure, you need to have the social infrastructure. And so finding people that are willing to invest in this town in more than just a, uh, a passing worker standpoint is what really it's gonna take to drive this thing forward. But there's people doing it. I mean, yeah. We have people investing in this community at the softer levels, not just the core development of oil and gas, mm -hmm. uranium for that matter, but people actually investing into, you know, whether it be new chain restaurants coming in, we have new mom and pop places coming in, like people are trying. And Gillette's food scene has gotten a world better than oh, yeah. it was 15 years ago, as you know. Oh, yeah. Our bar scenes change a little bit. We have other things happening. And we need people to continue developing that. But it's going to take individuals to do that because it's not done on a governmental or partnership level. See, I spent uh, a year and a half in Decatur, Illinois. And Decatur is probably about the size of Cheyenne. Maybe a little bit bigger. I think they had like 145, 150,000 people. I guess what Cheyenne's what 100,000? About 56. Oh, well then it's double the size. <laughs> I give Cheyenne too much credit, but like there was spots in the in the community that were thriving because exactly what you say. There's other spots where it was just a complete shithole, mm -hmm. you know, and and it, like the spots that was complete shitholes were everywhere that the government put their finger in and bought like they uh. There was one road that the government had went in and built uh, duplexes, brand new. I mean, they, this guy was talking about how they spent millions upon millions of dollars in building these duplexes for low income. And you drive down that street and there's nothing but cars sitting on center blocks, windows busted out, cardboard over the windows, uh, two by fours, you know, it was just trashed. And it just, but you go to spots where like you're talking about where people are taking the initiative to make it theirs. They where they have some blood and sweat and tears into it. It's thriving. And it's kind of like you said, you know, it, it takes, it takes individuals, not the government to, to build something to make it last. It does. I mean, the biggest way to get individuals to do that is like you said, you know, it's the ownership concept. Yep. Like it's your community. Exactly. So if you want to live there, make it what you want it. And so, you know, look at it the same way as like housing, for instance. So your house, so like there's different reasons to get into housing. You can buy housing for an investment. You can buy housing for an asset. You can buy it to flip it, make money off of it. But eventually you get to the point where you find that house that's yours and that's one you're going to live in. And so now instead of trying to invest money into it for a future sale, you invest money in it to live into mm -hmm. it. So, you know, things like planting flowers in the front yard, it's not going to help you sell the house, but you know what? It makes, makes you feel, feel better good. when you get yep. home. And so eventually when people decide like, hey, Gillette's where you want to live, make it your house, make it a home, not yeah. just a house or an asset that you transfer. Same thing on the business side is you got to create businesses that make this community your community. Yeah. Make this business your business, part of who you are. And once people do that, that's how you really start to develop that community. The pride. 
have yeah, pride. Yeah, but if you're strictly doing it for the asset or the monetary gain, you'll never get that sense of community right. into it. You have to do it from the right standpoint, the right motives. Otherwise, it's strictly a financial game, which is a hell of a lot better places to do than, for instance, what we do mm-hmm. than Gillette, Wyoming. Oh, yeah. But that's not why we do it. I see. That was kind of like a, when a teacher's corner was up for sale. They interviewed people before they actually said, yeah, we'll sell it to you. Yeah. And I, I like that idea. You know, people are up in arms about it. Well, you know, but it, it's theirs. It's their, that's their legacy. You know, that's, I, I, if I had a business like that, I'd want to do like, hey, you know, yeah, you're giving me top dollar for it, but I don't like who you are as a person. Yeah, and if you're not going to do, you know, their motives of that store, I mean, that was their lifestyle. Yeah. And that thing was a cornerstone of Gillette, Wyoming for like 30 years. Yeah. And they did phenomenally well with it, and it did really good things for the community. And so they wanted to maintain that going. Yeah, That's I remember. prime example. I, was, I remember when I was a kid when the Teacher's Corner is where uh, Rapscallion is at now. On the corner. Yeah, I remember that. And then uh, Dallas Barbershop was right next to them. But I mean, I've been here the same amount of time as you, 36 mm-hmm. years, and it's just crazy to see our downtown, how it's, how much it's changed and it's grown. It has, and it's taken you know, a lot of investment. You know, at the same time, you know, I, I don't want to completely dissolve the governmental aspect of it. Like Gillette Main Street, for instance, is a phenomenal program yep. to help develop this community. Those guys that do a lot to bring events in and, you know, make things happen to help illustrate, do some of the marketing side, you know, as they coincide with that public-private partnership in order to do some of the marketing that the private people couldn't do themselves has been phenomenal. So at the same time, like, you have to, on the private side, you have to capitalize on uh that and make stuff happen on your own, too. Like, you can't just rely on governmental intervention. So speaking of Main Street, are you guys still doing the curling? Well, so since the new place, we haven't done it, but we're debating right now, we're figuring out the best way to build entirely new curling rinks in our courtyard. Mm-hmm. Instead of shutting down Main Street and building curling rinks, just because of the time frame, you know, you got like, you have to start it on a Friday night, let it go through Friday because you got to shut down the street and parking. And then hopefully Saturday you have enough ice and you flip the coin on whether it's going to be cold enough. But the new courtyard we could set them up for weeks Mm -hmm. until we have good ice and then make it happen so we're debated on how to do that i really wanted to make it to one of the curling tournaments you guys had uh, a couple years ago i think i was in illinois but when i seen that on your guys's facebook i'm like damn i wish i was in town for that oh it was fun like that's one of the things we do on community development is just like fun events that Mm -hmm. are just kind of off the wall you know even like that curling you know we had real bumpy ice so we put gasoline all over the top of it and lit it on fire and curled through fire just to <laughs> also help smooth the ice over a little bit. Yeah, that was good cool. for photo ops. It was right? fun. Whether it be that or the Bearded Jack Festival, the what's the Bearded Jack Freedom Festival? Festival, the Viking Dinner. So the Bearded Jack Festival is one we did with Gillette Brewing Company, Rap Scallions, and uh, Creative Beverage. <clears throat> And what we did is a series of, like, physical feats out of Camplex. Okay. So we had, like, caber toss and spear throwing, axe throwing. More like rail Celtic games. driving. Yeah, kind of like a Highland Games mixed within, like, Mountain Man and, like, minor games. Uh-huh. But one thing we did is there's no weight classes, there's no gender classes, there's no age groups, and we don't keep track of second place. We don't believe in participation awards. Mm-hmm. So there's a little plaque at every event that has the winner and their score, their time. 
And as soon as somebody beats it, that gets erased and we write a new one. So there's only one winner, one event, anybody can come participate. And then uh, you know, we'd save all the money that we'd make and I'd all go off to a different charity. Last couple of years has been shut down due to various reasons. Um, one being COVID first year and then the next year we had an issue with uh, just timing, some other things happen. But yeah, then we also had like kid events. You know, we had a live chicken chase, a mini caber toss, a sibling carry, wheelbarrow race. But yeah, so we're, we'll probably bring back the Bearded Jack Festival at some point. That sounds awesome. I mean, two of our partners in it don't exist anymore, but we may just do it as a big loss thing. We'll see if our Rapscallions boys want to join us again. And then over COVID, we had the Freedom Festival. Mm-hmm where we brought a band against the governor's orders, had a big party outside, brought in a mountain howitzer and we're firing cannons in downtown July. Mm -hmm. Had guys with muskets and colonial outfits firing muskets in downtown and in the bar. It was a riot. Sounds like a good time. We got tired of the government shutting people down, so yeah, we we're gonna have our own freedom festival. Sometimes you gotta do that. That's yeah. what we founded on. Exactly. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. So actually, it turns out we do have cannons in uh, city ordinances. Just so oh, yeah? you know, <laughs> you actually have to get written permission from the mayor to fire a cannon in July, Wyoming. Did you guys just not do that step? Yeah, uh, we did do that step. And we still do everything by the law. There's a few laws that we bend when it comes to, like government shutdowns. But right. Other than that, you know, with our industry, we're so heavily regulated in the alcohol world. Oh, yeah. Especially with interstate commerce and moving stuff across borders and over international borders. That our consequences of breaking the law can be pretty substantial. So what was the process of getting all that for, like, international and stuff? Uh, I mean, there's a lot to it. I mean, it's not just figuring out the sales and distribution side, and that's probably the most difficult. Um, but, like, every shipment we send overseas, we have to get written certificates of origin and certificates of sanitation from the federal government, which takes like two weeks, really slows down the process. Um, and then we got to sit there and figure out the whole world of freight forwarding and shipping, which it's not as easy as like going to FedEx and here's where we're coming from, here's where we're mm -hmm. going, give me a quote. Because now you have ground transportation, you have storage at a port, you have transfer either to ship or um, sea port. Mm -hmm. And then from there, they transport to another international port where you have income or you have uh, uh, import paperwork, import taxation, customs. Then you sit in another port. Then you have a foreign entity come pick everything up, transport from there to the final destination. And then you have your traditional completion of transaction mm -hmm. like you would shipping it to somebody else. So there's a whole bunch of different steps in the way and getting into the freight forwarding world is very, very different than just standard shipping. So what, what uh, led you into getting into international? How'd, how'd that go about? Well, so what happened was the state of Wyoming set up a trade office to support agricultural products in Southeast Asia via Taiwan. And we called them up and we're like, well, hey, you know, alcohol is an ag product. Mm -hmm. And we knew there was a market in Taiwan. We'd done a little research on it. And uh, so we just asked, like, hey, what do you think about us getting involved in it? And so, like, yeah, give that a shot. So we went over to Taiwan, met with some folks, tied in with the state's program over there, was able to find a distributor. We we're getting ready to start full-scale distribution March 19th of 2020. Fantastic timing. 
and our distributor <clears throat> did make it through and so we kind of shut down for like a year and a half trying to find a new distributor and find another one and then now we're moving through southern taiwan and working on some other stuff in northern taiwan right now we have product over there we sent over a couple shipments the last few months um but yeah things are things are moving forward that's good and since then you know we've got some other companies around wyoming that are starting to look into selling alcohol in taiwan because we got a unique thing that not a lot of people in the world can offer which mm -hmm. is physically being from wyoming and some of the marketing that goes along with that and selling the high concepts of our community outward yeah help put us on the map and not just yellowstone in asia but we also have a lot of other things to offer in Wyoming. Right. That's awesome. I guess when I seen your Facebook posts, when you, I guess you were, didn't you go to Taiwan? Yeah. Weren't you there for a couple of weeks or something like that? Yeah, I went there for a couple of weeks back in 2019. And that was just like an outreach. Like here, here's my product, try it out kind of a thing. Yeah, we went to a big food trade show, met with a bunch of distributors and potential customers, sold some stuff and then so how is the culture difference between Taiwan and just say Wyoming? Everything. Everything. Yeah, you name it, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's everything from food to speak to religion to time frames on a map to what time you have meetings. I mean, you know, for us, most of our meetings are one to three in the morning. Mm -hmm. They're 14 time zones away in Taiwan. So we do things a little different there. There's geopolitics, there's yeah, the history is drastically different. I mean, you name it, it's different in Taiwan. Well, what, what are some of the things that we have in common with them? So we have a lot in common. I mean, Taiwan is very industrious, just like Wyoming people mm -hmm. are very industrious. I mean, they're hardworking. They're always looking for new things. Um, they're fairly innovative in Taiwan. So Taiwan's, a, you know, they've got a lot of innovation going on, even in like carbon capture technology through handheld technology to shipping, receiving, distribution technology. They have some business technology that's fairly innovative. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're constantly looking on the move for different things. You know, we have this elephant in the room of China, both yeah. here and in Taiwan. That's a big one because, you know, there's still Depending on where you talk in China, they're either ROC or not ROC, mm -hmm. which is Republic of China. Um, but yeah, they're they're excited about their future, and just like we are in Wyoming, you know, there's a lot of darkness around them in a lot of places, yep. just like there is in our world. But at the same time, people aren't quitting and rolling over. People are getting to work. They're moving forward. They're trying to invest and develop a future for themselves. Well, that's one thing. Massive. That's one thing for this community. It's always, no matter what it is, it seems like we always bounce back. Mm -hmm. Like there's very little that holds us down. Yeah, that takes an active pursuit to do. You can't just do that passively. Well, I think it's more of a pursuit of passion for people in this community. Like there's, like I said before, there's a lot of pride and just a lot of pride throughout our community. You can just look at the buildings and how people take care of their houses and their vehicles and mm -hmm. how they, you know, you still got your pajamas at Walmart, but I mean, that's everywhere. But it seems like people here have enough self-respect and, and self-pride that there's a piece of trash on the ground, somebody's stopping to pick it up. Well, there's also some humility, understanding like, if this is the town that made you, yeah. and you owe to this town and make it successful for the next group, but not just uh, taking it for what it's worth and leaving. I mean, a lot of people come to this town with that in mind of, 
gonna come here and make a few money in roughneck country for a few years and then go back home but a lot of people come in they fall in love with the community and they stay yeah and it makes them part of who they are like the industry that i'm in besides trying to become a podcaster but I, I, i'm a welder out at the mine and i've done a lot of contracting work for welders being a welder and it there's a lot of guys from like back east that are coming and you know you have you have a little thick uh what do you think of Gillette? And you have to have a sit down and talk with him that this ain't, this ain't the wild, wild west. You take some pride, have some respect, you'll go a long ways. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of them are younger guys, 20s, mid-20s kind of stuff like that. And I don't think they quite understand. I think that they, this younger generation isn't quite getting that, that the, the respect and pride in what you do and the things that you do and being a man. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes to maturity, but I mean, once they find out, like Gillette's place where you can actually change your stars, yeah, like, you can come in as, you know, maybe you're just working on your welding certificate without your high school GED mm-hmm. or a high school diploma, and like people start working towards that, they fall into our college, or they start falling into some of our private programs, and all of a sudden, yeah, they can make a hell of a living for themselves out of welding. Yeah. They take that and continue with it. They can start their own shop. They can do something else. I mean, they can build themselves some financial capital to go do what they want to do. Yeah. And some of them want to weld, and they're fantastic at it, and they can make really good livings out of that. Well, and it's amazing. Like, it's, there's not a lot of places in the U.S. where you can show up with nothing, and the cards aren't stacked against you. Yeah. So I went to college for culinary arts and hospitality management. And then once I understood how much money you make and how many hours you got to work to just afford food on your table, it's like, yeah, it's not for me. <laughs> you have to do that one for the passion. Yeah, that one. That's, see, I love to cook. I just, uh, yesterday, I put on two racks of ribs and uh, smoked some mac and cheese and had no, no plans on anybody really showing up. And then the neighborhood kids are out playing in the yard or out in the cul-de-sac and I'm like go tell your parents you know we're we got two racks of St. Louis St. Louis ribs on the grill on my smoker and tell them to come over for dinner you know and it's stuff like that I think that really builds the community just hey I'm making dinner I have way too much come on over yeah, you know it is community you know and there's a there's a guy his name's Dan Holloway and he talks about what it means to be a citizen and that has really listening to him and reading his stuff has really struck me and it's it's what kind of drove me to want to start to do this like being a citizen is when one falls you stand right there and you pick them up you help them back up you know it's uh when you see a piece of trash on the ground bend over you know pick it up leave it better than you found it you know and my dad he had a welding company here and he employed 4500 people at one point and when he left he did not leave it better than he found it he left it in shambles you know, and I'm still stuck here, and there's still a lot of people that talk about Hedinger Welding and all the stuff that he did. And it's like there's a lot of hate and anger with him. And I'm, and I talked to my wife, and I was like, I don't want to be that guy. I want to mm-hmm. be when people hear these podcasts. I want to, I want to come find out more about Gillette. I want to come find more about Wyoming, our communities. You know, because we have so much to offer. There are so many good people in in the state of Wyoming and Gillette alone. And I think that we need to support and upgrade everybody and, and give everybody a chance to shine, to, to be something more than just a welder, something more than just being the dude that sweeps the floors, you know? So like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
try to inspire, be more inspirational. Well, it's all about, I mean, being a good citizen is living with intent. Exactly. And so, I mean, you can do that as the welder. You can do as the guy that sweeps the floors. Like, you know, every single aspect of society has to have that. But a good citizen of the community is somebody who lives with intent. Mm -hmm. And so they have the intent of the world is a little bit bigger than they are. Yep. So, yeah, you may have your own trials and tribulations as you're trying to put food on your table and pay your mortgage and pay your bills and da-da-da-da-da. Which that's fine. I mean, that's part of living too. You know, that's life. Yeah, it's not supposed to be the easiest thing in the world, but with that, you take whatever trials and tribulations you have, and you take the extra time, energy, and efforts that you have with intent of making this place better in whatever your sphere of influence is. Mm -hmm. If you have a bigger sphere, you do different things. If you have a smaller sphere, you do different things, and it can be everything from picking up the trash onto the ground to fixing your fence to helping your neighbor put their fence in to having them over for a rack of ribs to starting businesses and raising millions of dollars. It doesn't matter where you stand, but when you are actively engaged with intent in your community, that's what makes you a citizen. Mm -hmm. I agree with that 100%. I think that's where I was trying to go with it, but you're way more educated, way smarter than I am. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. I, uh, as much as I talk into a microphone, I still stumble over my words and get lost. So usually I've had about <laughs> six beers in me, but. That's okay. Yale did a study one time. You're better at darts when you drink beer because it's the only time you ever do it. Oh. <laughs> if you play darts sober, you'll be better sober. But if you do it when you drink beer, you'll always be better when you drink beer. Well, we've done quite a few sober ones just because our wives, like our, our wives are super, super supportive of, of us trying to make something of this. Mm -hmm. But there was one night Mike came over and should we be polished off a fifth of vodka and a case of beer or just trying to just messing around with, I think it was like our first or second one we did just trying to get it figured out and they're having problems with a laptop and he called his wife and I need you to come pick me up and he drove over there and she's and it was two o'clock in the fucking morning. <laughs> so our wives kind of put their foot down and said, ah, we're done with this one. Well, sometimes you got to work with intent too. But. Well, we're at 38 minutes. I don't know if you got any more, you got any questions or something you want to bring light to? I think ultimately one of the biggest things about Gillette is like Gillette is a special place. Uh, we're not always the best at displaying that ourselves. Mm -hmm. And there's some reason for that, I think, too, because while Gillette is special, we can also drastically change the landscape of where we live to where it's not Gillette anymore. And so along with that, when we talk about economic growth and sustainability of the economy and diversity of the economy and things that people are trying to do right now, which is all great, we also have to acknowledge, you know, at some point, we don't want to overcome why Gillette is good. Mm -hmm. And so you look at some of the tourist towns around Wyoming that were phenomenal places but they've completely destroyed their character in pursuit of the dollar. And Gillette can't do that. Like we are special for a reason. And so when we do things like start businesses, develop economic diversification is doing that with intent matters because we can't jade who we are. Yep. And so if you sell your soul to make the almighty dollar, which I mean, for lack of a better example, you know, your dad's company is a good example of that, where the way he did things was in pursuit of the dollar, not necessarily in pursuit of a higher purpose. Community development. Yeah. And so 
you know, I just, that's the only caveat I give to people is if, you know, you're going to sit there and develop your community, develop your community, don't sell your community for profits. I agree with that 100%. There's a few communities in Wyoming that you can look at that have gone way, way over the top with selling for the dollar. Yeah. And I mean, there's a, having a lack of population is usually a pretty good thing in Wyoming, but you know, we want economic sustainability. We want diversity in the economy. We want growth. We want people to have good livings. We want to continue doing what Wyoming's good for. But if we sell our character and sacrifice all of that, then what's the point? Well, it seems like those communities are the ones that are yelling the loudest. Yeah, I mean, somewhat. Um, but the biggest thing is, you know, we have no control over other places. We don't have control over who we are. Right. And so it's our job to sustain who we are while still making the best lives for everybody in this community that we can. Well, Sam, I think you're doing an awesome job. Is there anything you got coming up that you want to promote? This will be probably coming out in two weeks. Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, you know, I encourage anybody to come on down and have a chat with our bartenders, come meet a new friend, you know, come take a look at Big Loss for what it is, and uh, I think you'll see why we put it where we put it. Yeah. Well, Sam, it's been a pleasure. I uh, hope to do this again maybe in the future when I'm a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, but you're good. I appreciate it, Kyle. I really appreciate you doing this and being the first one on uh, our hometown, and can't wait to see what the future brings for you. Sounds good, buddy. I Thank appreciate you, sir. your time, and we'll be in touch. Heck, yeah. Thanks, Sam. Bye.